welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 47 of the OCR Underground Show. As always, thank you so much for joining me today. My goal, as always, is to provide you with some great insight and different strategies to help improve your OCR training. And the show notes for today's episode are going to be found at ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 47. So uh, real quick, I do want to mention the release of a new program that... SGX coach and registered dietitian Anne LaRue and I have created together. That is our Fuel and Fire Elite program. Uh, you can learn more about it. I'll put a link in the show notes for this program. But essentially, we're looking for 30 beta testers that are looking for a done-for-you system to follow for the next 90 days, including your running, your strength training, your obstacle training, your nutrition to go along with your training, and then week-by-week coaching from Coach Anna and myself. We're really excited about the program. Uh, those that are part of those first 30 to join will get $50 off the entire program. So uh, if you want to learn more, go to the show notes, but it's it's ocrunderground.com slash fuel-fire-elite, and you can learn all about that program and, and apply. Set up a phone call. We'll talk to you and make sure that this program is a good fit for you and then and get you all set up there. So again, check out the show notes for that. Uh, as we get into this episode, I wanted to share a quick video and blog post that I did. Now you can, again, go to the show notes and you can watch the video uh, and read the blog post, but I want to talk a little bit about plyometrics. I've, I've talked about plyometrics before on the podcast, and I've mentioned I'm, I was a collegiate jumper, so obviously this is close to heart where I, I love plyometric training. You know, when you're good at something, obviously you like doing it, but I just see so much benefit of incorporating plyometrics into your program and uh, all the all the great things it can do, but at the same time, I see how much it's abused and how quickly it can lead to injury if you're not careful. And when I say plyometrics, I think most of you probably know what I'm talking about, but I'm referring to uh, jump training or explosive movements, either with the upper body or lower body. So jumping is usually the most common thing, so I'll probably use most of my examples uh, with that type of plyometric. But Essentially, in plyometrics, I won't get too much into the details, but you are stretching a muscle or group of muscles out, and when you stretch them out, it's like a rubber band. You build all of this energy, and if you quickly contract that muscle, you create more force than the muscle could have done on its own, which is pretty cool because you're not only using the muscle, you're using the fascia and the connective tissue and the tendons. All these other things are working together to create this slingshot effect, and there's a ton of research showing why and how and uh, all the cool things plyometrics do, but they they work. They will help you jump higher. They will help you run faster. They will improve agility, um, and they can reduce injury if you use them properly, or they can increase injury depending on what you're doing with them. So that was kind of the key of this article that I wrote, and I'll give you the, the cliff notes, but... If you are thinking about starting plyometrics, and if you're training for an OCR, you absolutely should, um, but you should take precaution, and you should understand how to properly implement plyometrics. So sure, you can just start doing some squat jumps and burpees and all these things, and and you you might do great with them, or you might just be putting a little bit too much wear and tear on those joints and lead to some some big problems there. So the big thing with 
plyometrics is understanding that you need to learn how to land first. And I know that sounds really weird, but if you can't land, that's where problems happen. Now, it could be just you you jump over a wall, you land funny, you twist your ankle, you tweak your knee, something like that. Or you're doing 10 squat jumps times three sets and you do that every day or every week for a while, that repeated pounding might be a little bit too much for that joint to handle. And now you have some inflammation, tendonitis, things like that. So these are all things that I have personally dealt with, with some pretty serious and significant injuries to my knee from so much high impact exercise and and plyometrics. And it's something that I've learned over the years how to really reduce. And and now that I properly train, I don't ever really have issues with this at all. So I want to share some of the things that I do with myself and with my clients when we implement plyometrics. And that, like I said, is learning how to land. So if you watch kids at a playground, Oftentimes, they're not jumping up on stuff on the structures at the playground. What they're doing is they climb up it and then they jump off to see, um, you know, if they can land and if they don't get hurt. And if they don't get hurt, they usually try and climb a little bit higher and and repeat the process until one of their friends gets hurt. And then it's like, okay, don't go off that one. Go off the last one. That seems to be our limit there, right? So I'm joking there, but they are kind of testing their their limits with what they, they can and can't do. So in the video and blog posts, what I talk about are three specific drills that you can start do to work on landing. And really, this is what you should spend the first one to three weeks doing to to properly prepare your body for the amount of impact that you're going to do. So you start, this could be part of your warm up, but you start with these these three different types of exercises, but it's essentially all landing drills for, uh, it's easier to watch the video, but one simple one that you can probably picture is you, you get up on a small box maybe a foot to two feet max off the ground and then you just step off and stick the landing and then you step back on there and you step off stick the landing and you're working on a soft landing landing in a squat position trying to pretend that if you land too hard you're going to break the floor so it should be a quiet um, low impact drill to just learn how to land properly and what this is going to do is properly prepare your body for when you start to do plyometrics so when uh, you're going to develop strength obviously so that the deceleration that eccentric load on the muscle is going to help get you stronger so you can handle your body weight plus more as gravity pulls you down to the ground but not just the muscles are going to get stronger the connective tissue your joints are going to get stronger bone density is going to increase all these cool things but if you push too far too fast and just start doing box jumps and hurdle jumps and all these higher level plyometric drills it's a, a fast track to developing an overuse injury so this might sound super basic but it's just something that most people skip over and it's it's an easy thing that you can implement. You do one to two sets per workout, part of your warm up, And then after a few weeks of that, now we start developing some low level plyometrics some jumps in place and hops, things like that. And then we can eventually progress to jumping over things, bounding single leg uh, exercises like that. So again, go to the show notes and you can check out the the video where I show some of these exercises. But uh, like I said, a topic close to my heart and it's something you really should be incorporating into your program, but uh, focus on that landing before you focus on jumping. All right, well, let's get into this week's episode. First up, I'm going to do the race recap for the Chino Spartan Super and Sprint, one of the first Spartan race of the year at Prado Regional Park. Uh, So I'm going to give the race recap, and I'm also going to go over the new age group review, having the experience to uh, run in that both days. Uh, In our research review, we're going to go over... Uh, three hip exercises. So we've often seen the deadlift as kind of the, the standard and the go-to for strengthening the hip exercise. 
or for strengthening the hip muscles. And we're going to see how does the barbell deadlift compare to the hex bar deadlift and the barbell hip thrust. And then finally, in our SGX Coaches interview, I have on Andrea Bowden with Next Level Fitness, and we're going to talk all about OCR as a college sport, which is pretty cool. And she's going to tell us and uh, give us some insight on how she trains her athletes for uh, preparing for their competition. All right, well, let's get started. I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. All right, before we get into the episode, I do want to interrupt this podcast to just mention a couple of our sponsors and thank them for making this podcast possible. Uh, first, we have Mobilitas, who's making high-quality, durable mobility tools. You can check out all of their great products at yourjointsshouldnthurt.com. Check out their rollers, peanuts, spheres, all the cool stuff they have, plus their new six-week mobility master's class, which is pretty cool. And we also have Designer Protein. Designer Protein is a leader in the protein powder industry with over 25 years of experience. They offer a full range of great tasting and high quality products. And you can check them out at designerprotein.com. And don't forget, use code SDPremier20 and you actually get 20% off your order. Now back to the episode. All right, so let's get into our race recap, and um, I'm going to talk about the Spartan Chino race, the super and sprint that was at Prado Regional Park in Chino Hills, California. Uh, but first, I do want to talk about the new age group that was formerly the competitive division, because I know a lot of people have questions about this and haven't been able to run a race yet. Now, this is the very first one, so there definitely was a few issues, but I think now that they've done a couple races, it's, it's definitely gotten better. Uh, to start off, it seemed like the start times were kind of confusing and weird. When I first checked my start time, it originally said uh, 8.30, and then the, I checked again the day of and noticed it was 8 o'clock and actually almost missed my start time. And uh, at first I was like, no, no big deal. I'll just run in one of the next heats. But then realizing they actually send all the age groups out uh, together. So uh, I am in the 30 to 39 age group, which was the first open group or age group to go out. And if I were to miss that, you actually can't run in any of the other age groups. So you're going to be automatically put into the first available open division. So one thing, if you are going to do age group category, don't be late. You're not going to be able to jump in another age group. And they. it seems like they have some pretty strict rules where if you jump in the wrong age group, you'll actually be DQ'd. Um, again, it seems like they're ironing out some of these details, but you do have to run with your age group. So just be careful about that. Uh, the other thing was a, a bit confusing was uh, the men and women do not go together. Even though uh, my wife and I both had the same start time at 8 a.m., the men go first and then the women will go after. So may not be a big deal for you. We were kind of bummed because we typically run the races together. And so this involved me just going and waiting for her about a mile in because they, they go about 10 minutes after the men. So me and a couple other loyal husbands and boyfriends were waiting for our wives and girlfriends at the uh, first obstacle when they caught up and then we could all run together. So no big deal in the long run. But if you do plan on running this with friends, just realize that they are going to break you up men and, and women if that's if that's an issue at all. Uh, the other thing that people always are talking about are the burpees and how strictly are they watching things. So I 
in my personal opinion, I noticed that the volunteers did a great job. I think, yes, they're not going to catch every single thing out there, and they're not going to count everybody's burpees, but they were on top of it as best as they could, I really thought. So if you do fail an obstacle, they do have cameras at the burpee stations, and there are volunteers there who are going to write down your bib number and show it to the camera as you're doing your burpees. <clears throat> they will not count for you, but... Um, they will be filming you the entire time. So when you when you go to the burpee zone, you'll take off your headband, put it down at your feet, start doing your burpees and counting. They'll come over, show it to the camera, write down your, your bib number, and then you do your burpees and move on. So whether this is a scare tactic um, or, or what, I don't know. But I do notice from when I finished my race, I moved up seven spots due to disqualifications. So that's a pretty large number in my opinion, where I went from 17th to 10th. So they are disqualifying people for whatever the reasons were. I don't know if it was because they didn't do burpees or not enough burpees, or maybe they ran in the wrong age group, whatever it might've been. So definitely try and stick to the rules as best you can, because it looks like they are being pretty strict with the age group division and really holding it to the uh, same high standards as the elite division. But Overall, I really liked it. You could see exactly where you were. Um, I guess that's a good thing or a bad thing. So when you're out, you know if you're in first place in your age group, you know if you're in last place in your age group or anywhere in between. So it was kind of nice just seeing about where you were and how many people you catch and uh, things like that. And when you finish, there's not a, a long time to wait to see what you finished because you know nobody coming in after you can move ahead of you. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. And I, I do think this is a step in the right right direction. They're obviously going to work out some kinks along the way. But overall, I think the age group was, was an improvement on the competitive. My main critique was, and, and, and again, this is more my personal um, situation, but it would have been nice for the men and women to run together. But um, they decided to to break it up and it sounds like that's that's how they're going to do it. So let's get into the actual race review. Uh, this seems like it's going to be the new SoCal location because uh, they've already announced that it's going to be uh, at Chino Regional Park next January. But I thought it was a great start to uh, to the year, my, my first OCR of the year. And uh, it just seemed it, it wasn't too difficult. It wasn't a, a crazy race. Uh, the hills were very minimal, you know, a couple short little inclines throughout there but overall a relatively flat course um, especially in the beginning very flat the first couple miles so it was nice that you could see everybody out in front of you you can see the obstacles coming uh, the terrain was was nothing nothing too crazy uh, so all that was was fine it was a little weird in the background having uh, there's, you're right next to a shooting range, so you're hearing lots of gunfire as you're running. Sometimes you're getting a little bit closer, so they're getting louder and louder. So that was a, an interesting uh, twist to it. Um, so on, on Saturday, it was a pretty nice day, a little bit on the cooler side, but um, really great weather for a race. Sunday, things changed where it, it got incredibly windy and dusty, but overall, the weather was, was pretty good. I mean, in Southern California, we really can't complain too much. Um, Going into our obstacles, so uh, the the buckets they are pre-filled. I remember at Big Bear last year they did that as well. So I don't know if that's just a way to standardize that, so everybody is is lifting the same weight and you can't dump your rocks out and things like that. So I actually did like that; it saves you time. You don't have to fill it up. You just grab your bucket and and you go. Uh, the twister 
did have those handles again, so be prepared. It, I think that's just what you're going to see until they find a better solution. I don't think it's the best solution, but I guess people aren't going to be burning their hands as much. They're just going to be doing more burpees because it is going to make that obstacle much more challenging. And this time around, the handles were very loose, very thin, so they just rotated as soon as you grabbed the hold. So keep working on that grip, and, and that's going to be a challenging obstacle this year, it seems. Um, uh, the tire flip as well was in there. The the that always poses a, an issue for some people just getting your fingers under there. Um, so keep working on that that grip again and and uh, working on getting those tires over. Uh, other than that, it was all the the same same obstacles. Nothing new. Olympus was in there. Um, the bender was in there for the super sandbag carry. All all your standards are there. Um, the one surprising thing that was not in there was monkey bars i thought that was interesting so they did have the rig uh on uh, on the uh super it was the bar and the rings and the ropes and and the the mixture and then uh, all rings for the sprint <clears throat> and um you know, obviously the spear the z wall you know the last couple times i've seen the z wall it it's on an angle so really watch which way the wall is leaning because one side is going to be incredibly difficult if you are uh, leaning backwards the entire time so make sure take your time if you need to wait for somebody to finish but uh, be smart about how you pick that wall more of the same on on sunday for the sprint like i said uh, the wind really did pick up that day and uh the biggest difference so this was a pretty muddy course and I, i've been on muddier courses where it's overall just in and out of mud but here, you know, there was a couple spots where we had to get in the water and out, but really it was the, the end, the, the dunk wall. It was incredible, the difference between day one and day two. Day, day one was, was cold and, and a little bit muddy, but you got out and, you know, that, that mud wasn't so bad. But day two and the later the day went on, you came out like, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, you like Augustus Gloop. You were just covered in, it looked like chocolate. It was just unbelievable. People were having a hard time seeing climbing out of the the water after they got through it was just that mud was just getting churned up as the day went on and was pretty unbelievable and and that that was probably the muddiest i've ever seen it which led right to the slip wall which posed to be a huge obstacle for some people as as we were watching people go through the lineup at that one obstacle was getting just crazy because so many people were not able to get up there and and that obstacle really got backed up so make sure you're working on that grip and, and really leaning back as you climb up that wall um, otherwise you're, if you start leaning forward those feet are going to slip slip right underneath you and i saw a lot of people doing burpees on the slip wall which I, you don't really see that often but it was just so muddy people were really really struggling with that all right so that's that's the race recap i thought it was a great start to the year um, and hopefully we see some more great spartan races as the year goes on all right in this week's research review we're going to talk about the glutes and the hips and I found a study, this is actually in the March 2018 Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, and the title is Electromyographic Comparison of Barbell Deadlift, Hex Bar Deadlift, and Hip Thrust Exercises. Uh, and essentially what that means is they looked at what muscles were activated how much during these three different exercises, and then they compared them to see which ones were the best at activating which which muscle groups. Um, so that pretty straightforward. Um for this one, what they found was during the hip thrust exercise, 
they saw the greatest activation in, or that exercise had the greatest activation in glute max. So that, that main glute muscle was activated the most during the hip thrust exercise. In terms of uh, bicep femoris activation, we had the barbell deadlift. And biceps femoris, just think that's one of the hamstring muscles. So uh, the barbell deadlift had the greatest hamstring activation, followed by the hex bar deadlift, followed by the hip thrust uh, exercise. And the, the erector spinae were pretty much equal activation in all of them. And that's the, think of the, the small muscles on the backside of the spine. So our erectors that help us stay upright. So think core. So uh, they all had a, a similar core activation. So those were the main findings, short and simple. Um, I think what we get from this is, so which one is the best one for developing the hips and the glutes and, and the core and, and all of this to, to create better hip extension? And I think you, you really can't, you can't say just one of them because this study showed that they each do things a little bit differently. If you're looking for more glute max activation to really work on that hip extension movement, the, the hip thrust was the greatest exercise there. But in terms of uh, hamstring activation, the barbell deadlift was the greatest there. And that doesn't say that the, the hex bar, they were, it was kind of in the middle there of all of them. That doesn't mean that we throw that one out because the hex bar deadlift is just a safer alternative for deadlifting if you do have a hard time with barbell deadlifts. So you may want to do hex bar deadlifting, even though it may not develop the greatest activation of these muscles, it might be the safest alternative for you. Uh, but what we get from this is I think the idea is you want to incorporate different types of hip training exercises. We we need those glutes for, for training, just for everyday life, for picking things up, uh, for jumping and creating power and running. All these different movements, we are going to need strong and powerful hips and, and create better hip extension. So you should be rotating through these different exercises. These, these can be a little bit more advanced, so obviously progress to these types of exercises if you haven't used them before. But yeah, the barbell deadlift is a great functional exercise and we're gonna get lots of benefit from doing it. But if you don't feel safe using the barbell, you might wanna switch to the hex bar. Like I said, it's just a safer alternative. But we also know we get greater glute activation with the hip thrust. So we get better hamstring activation with the de deadlifting. We get greater glute activation with uh, our hip thrust. So why not put both of these together? Doesn't necessarily have to be the same workout, but we can kind of rotate through the week. So maybe one day I'm deadlifting using the the barbell, one day I'm deadlifting using the hex bar, one day I'm deadlift or one day I'm using the barbell for my hip thrust. All right. So three very effective ways, but just realize they do different things, right? Deadlifting is going to get you better at picking things up off the ground. Hip thrust is going to be better at developing more strength in the hips and, and extending the hips. So all great. Make sure you're using all three in your program. All right, everybody, it's time for our Coach's Corner, and today I am with Andrea Bowden, who is uh, the founder and also runs Next Level Fitness Training in Oregon. She's also the head coach of the first ever college obstacle course race team in the nation, so we're definitely going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, she's been a certified fitness professional for the last 32 years, so definitely has some awesome experience, not just with OCR, but just fitness training in general that she's going to share with us today. So how are you doing, Coach? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for jumping on here today. Oh, yeah. My my joy. <laughs> so uh, we have a ton of stuff that I want to get to. So let's jump right in. So how did you get first involved with obstacle course racing? 
Well, obstacle course racing, my friend drove me from, we lived in a little town on the coast, drove me to Eugene. It was a couple hour drive to a little race called uh, Dirty Dash. So I did the Dirty Dash. And for some reason, I still wanted to do it again. She had done a Spartan and she talked about how difficult it was. Crazy hard. So I said, sign me up. (laughs) And um, so I did it. I failed four obstacles. And after that, I was like, okay. I have to be able to get these obstacles. <laughs> like this can't happen. So, so what, and that was have, even, uh, what four was it? I have to interrupt you for a second. The four. Yeah. Um, the four were, well, the, that was the rope climb was, you started in the water and it was okay. the very last obstacle. So I, I failed that one. Didn't know how to climb a rope. I hadn't climbed a rope, um, ever in my life. And then, um, oh, the Z wall, mm was really broke my heart because I was literally an inch away from the bell before I fell. And then, um, what else was there? Two more. I'm sure it was like, Oh, rings. Okay. The ring, you know, I hadn't done monkey bars. Now I own a gym that has all that stuff. So, um, <laughs> no, no but, excuse now. Yeah. No excuse now. Like really seriously. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, um, yeah, so I failed and I didn't really know about the burpee thing when I entered the race either. So, just, um, just what Spartan knows, like newbies don't really know all that stuff, but I think those, um, SGX coaches were, were training people on that, but, but, um, yeah, but knowing the rules and stuff is, you know, I didn't know, yeah. but anyway, it, yeah. <laughs> so, so sorry I, I interrupted you. Keep, keep going. Yeah, no, that was it. That was it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So when did you start getting into coaching then? Well, um, you mean SGS coaching yeah, I, or an I, obstacle course thing? Yeah. Well, I, the, I had a gym in where I lived in Bandon. It's a little tiny town, about 3000 people. I owned a gym. I taught boot camp classes and I just felt like it was a good transition there. But I went for, uh, the SGX coaching because I needed CEUs <laughs> for my certification, um, because I'm a personal trainer and I thought, well, what a great way to do it. So, uh, actually what I did was I wanted to be the obstacle specialist. You know, I thought that would be really super cool and fun. And Arizona is my hometown. So I went to Arizona mm-hmm. and, um, and took that from Christopher Rutz. Um, and he was awesome. And, um, yeah, so I just need my, my, and you know what, I'll tell you the education from the SGX coach was my favorite really awesome i really got so much out of it in the direction of um i don't know program and planning in a unique way i thought mm-hmm. um i now give people homework i really like uh I, I give lifestyle homework now and and physical exercise homework and nutrition homework i mean there was some other stuff i just it was unique and yeah. i really really it. Yeah, yeah, they, those guys do an awesome job, and and mm-hmm. it's no wonder the SGX program is growing so much. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, they're going really fast. Yeah. yeah. So let's get into your 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 current position right now. So you are the head obstacle course racing coach at Umpqua Community College, and mm-hmm. I pronounced that correctly. Right? Yes. Yes. Beautiful. So how how did that become about? Um. Oh, by the grace of God. So I'm sitting in a coffee shop, and I'm wearing a t-shirt from an obstacle course race that has all kinds of fun stuff on it, like rope climbing, mud running, you know, whatever it was, it was just like throwing heavy things, whatever it was. And then somebody noticed it and he said, well, I know somebody who's looking for an obstacle course race coach. 
or no, he said the college, you know, they were looking for it. So, um, so I was like, super cool. So I went and met the athletic director at the college and I thought he was just looking for some advice because he was going to start a team and he wanted to build a course on the campus and he wanted to meet somebody who's done obstacle course races. And so I was able to give him some advice on what the races look like and blah, blah, blah. And I said, but no, you're not going to have me coach. Like I can't coach for one. I don't speak boy. And if we have, if I have to do like coach men, like that's not going to happen. And, um, so, (laughs) so, um, because in my career, you know, you have to really, I coached primarily women. I'm going to say 90% of the people that I drew to me were women, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so from, and, and and women, you know, in their old, you you know, fifties, you know, (laughs) like like Mm -hmm. forties and, you know, some young people as well, but you know what I'm saying? Um, so, Anyway, I said I could go in and he said, well, would you be willing to go in and, and, um, you know, offer like a class every once in a while? I said, yeah. Like I perked up like, yeah, that'd be great. He said, so what's the difference between that and coaching? So I was like, oh, okay. Anyway, so I thought about it. I took a position and the really irony of it is I have, um, I ended up, we ended up with like 11 men and three women and I completely, completely fell in love. I love these kids. They work so hard and just really enjoyed my experience. And I'm super excited to take on the next, um, our next season. That's awesome. So I, I have a ton of questions for you, but let's, let's start with, with the, uh, the athletes. So how, how is the recruiting process work for something like this? <laughs> it's really fun because, um, I don't know about your town, but most people around here don't know what obstacle course racing is. And they're learning because of the college team. And it's just, it, it's, it's kind of now more out there. And because of me, because I talk about it all the time, <laughs> but, um, and, uh, but when I, when we first, when we go into the high schools, I have to say, and I hate this because I won't say it anymore, but this is what I said. It's like American Ninja Warrior with mud. So I hated, you know, like I hated that I had to say that, but that's what they got because they watch American Ninja Warrior on TV. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so I go in and here's the worst part. So I go in and I convince these poor souls to sign up for obstacle course racing because the videos are super cool and they're running around in the mud and they do these obstacles and these people are just like having so much fun and, and, um, and they're, you know, conquering these obstacles. And then they show up to practice and I say, guess what? you have to run. <laughs> so, so I really uh, honestly had to sneak in. It's kind of like sneaking in the, uh, the spinach in the, you know, in, in the, in the homemade bread or whatever. So the kids don't know they're eating vegetables. I had to kind of sneak in the running in the program, um, at first. Now they love it. And now, now they do it anyway. So the recruiting, I do have to go to the call. I'm still new at that as well. So I do need to go to the high schools and, um, yeah. And it's, it's different because you're, you're teaching people what obstacle course racing is and then convincing them that, yes, this is a sport you want to sign up for. So, um, but we, and we offer scholarships. So that was a draw as well. So wow. we're, we offer scholarships for the, for the students as well. Um, and, um, where, you know, there's no obstacle course racing sanctioned, you know, <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we have some flexibility, um, the other thing that was really nice is, you know, when you sign up for basketball, how many weekends of your life are you signing up for it? Um, with ours, um, and because we're in the PNW Pacific Northwest, there aren't very many races near us. So, 
hear me, awesome course race directors, <laughs> bring some to the Pacific Northwest. Um, anyway, so there aren't very many. And um, so, um, so it was like, it was a little bit of an easy sell in a way, you know, you get to be a college athlete. These are college athletes and some of them are just awesome. Um, uh, um, and, and um, yeah, and you get, you know, a little bit of money and so, yeah, so it's cool. And the other thing that I thought um, I think is really cool about our team and for people who are interested in maybe starting a team, athletic directors, it's really fun to draw athletes from different sports or athletes who people who have never done sports before. We have that. We have that kind of capability. So um, I we have a golfer. We have a basketball player cheerleader we have you know people from all different sports coming together and and it's just it ends up being a unique kind of mix and i think and not that everyone was on a football team but or a basketball team but i think the camaraderie ends up being different because they're all from different sports does that i don't know maybe your listeners can oh yeah i get it you know (laughs) but no that's awesome uh and so this is obviously a very unique thing and and so you guys are the first that have actually done something like this. And that's incredible that they'll provide scholarships. So right? are you guys yeah. getting um, any funding on top of that? Like, is there uh, like uniforms or for training? How does that all work? Well, we do have a uniform budget. Um, yeah. I mean, um, you know, our kids, they're so good. They don't ask for much, man. They just don't. Um, yeah, we have uniforms. Um, we take the bus wherever we go, um, which is not unusual, apparently. I mean, I was never an athlete. (laughs) (laughs) So we take the bus and, um, uh, but yeah, there's a budget for it, but also it's super cool is we're going to have two of our own races in the spring. So we're, planning on raising some money that way because we're going to race our athletes and invite other colleges to race in as well. And the way we're going to do it is, um, we think we're going to do it in a really unique way, like no other race. So our course is kind of small and, um, and you have to loop around, but it's very, very challenging. It's either uphill or downhill. Honestly, you get very, very little flat. Um, but anyway, um, so kind of loopies around, and, um, and we're going to do it in flights. So you'll take off, you'll be in a flight of about 15 athletes and you'll do that and you'll finish. And then we're going to do a final flight of all the winners from every of the other flights, which we're super excited about. So, um, so I think it's going to be like a random, you know, we'll invite other colleges there, but open people from anywhere can compete and do it with us. So, yeah. So we're hoping to raise some money that way and then we can, we can you know, maybe fly to San Diego and visit you guys. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a decent <laughs> amount of races down here for sure. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so obviously it's your, your goal. I'm assuming to get other schools involved with this. So there's more competitions. So mm-hmm. for anybody listening, that might be in a situation where they're, they're in a school, they are a school admin or something along those lines. Uh, what do, you, what do you think the benefits are of starting a college program for obstacle course racing? Obviously, everyone listening loves obstacle course racing and understands the benefit, but why in a college setting do you think uh, it would be useful? Um, well, a couple of things. I don't know. Is this going to sound bad? I don't know. I'm going to say it. Um, I think some kids – I'm just going to say I don't know. I'm just going to think out loud. But I think some – what I've 
noticed is some students have been wrestling for four years. They want to try something else. They've been playing basketball since they were five years old. They want to try something else. Um, so that kind of thing. And we want to keep our students in our community. So, um, our high school, for example, has an awesome wrestle. Well, we have wrestling too at our college, but, um, but you know, we have, um, you know, how, if you're an, if you're an athletic director at, at a college, I, you know, this is their goal is to keep people, people local, you know, you don't want them going to another city, (laughs) you know, you want them to stay home and, and be part of the community, you know, continue to be part of the community. I just think obstacle course racing is just another great opportunity for students who a didn't fit into, um, um, to normal sports or, or whatever you call it. What do you call them? They're traditional sports. sports Traditional sports. yeah. Yeah. So, um, or giving people, you know, so giving people a chance who never really participated that much, but, uh, but really like to, you know, or people who are kind of tired of doing their other sport. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just feel like it's a, it's another way. Um, it gets people outside. Um, it, it does draw a unique crowd, um, in a way. I mean, a lot of them are athletes from other sports, but, um, yeah. So it's just another way to keep your kids around, <laughs> you know, oh, awesome your own community going to your school, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So what are your, what are your goals for, for your program, for this board, uh, you know, what, or maybe goal is not the right word, but what, what would you like to see based on what you guys have started up there? Well, we want to win. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Like, honestly, I, I don't know how crazy that is, but I want to win. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, um, we had one athlete, we raced, uh, in Spartan Sacramento last year and we raced competitive because we had, never raced a Spartan before most, most of them. Um, he was fourth overall in the competitive. Um, and, um, we had somebody come in eighth overall and, um, you know, some, we had some top, you know, some top players in there. Um, and I think we have the potential, you know, to be up there one day, you know? Um, I definitely think so. You know, I, you know, it's interesting is I noticed, uh, the elite division, aren't they in their thirties normally? And it, it, so I think that's kind of an unusual and isn't, and I think, and I'm not just talking, I mean, there are other races we're going to do terrain race, which I'm very excited for because (laughs) I think we can win terrain race too. But, um, um, but, and I think Spartan's going to age group, um, which, yeah, instead of competitive now. Yeah. So, and I think that is going to set us up because our age groups, like our, the guy who came in fourth, he came in second because the first place person was in his age group, but he came in second in his age group. The guy who came in eighth, he came first in his age group. Right. You know, I had a few people because it's interesting that the 20 something things aren't placed. It seems like the 30 somethings are the ones who are winning elite divisions and things. So, um, anyway, so our 20 somethings, I think have, have an, if, you know, to race age group, the 20 something are they're they're doing really well. Our 20 somethings are doing really well. So let's talk about your, your planning, your, your program design a little bit for like a college sport. So this is a, is it a year round sport for you guys or is it a fall semester, spring semester? How does that work out? Yeah, we're going to, um, we have fall semester. So that was our first ever. And then spring, we're coming back in spring. So yeah, so it'll be those two. And so um, how, on, how do you set up your training program just to make sure they're peaking? Um, cause this is a little different because it's not like, a, 
necessarily a championship. So does every race weigh the same? Are you trying to peak for a particular one? Um, yeah. Any any considerations with that with your with your program design? Well, yeah, I have to say, like, we, we actually really wanted to peak for um, for Spartan for sure last fall. So that was definitely on our list. Um, and our final race this year will be terrain on May 26th in um, Eugene. So that will probably be our goal to peak there. I, and it's such a short period. So when you really think about peaking someone, what do I have, two months, you know? <laughs> so... Um, so it, it's the kids who are really putting in the time right now, you know, that are really going to make a, an impact. I don't really know. I guess I really, I'm, and, and so, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't, I can't take someone that it would take really six months to train to peak. Um, but I do have athletes right now who are definitely putting in the time. Awesome. So, so let's get into uh, your training philosophy a little bit. What, what types of things are you focusing on with, with the program? Um, I feel like no matter what sport you do, you need strength. So no matter where you're at, you need strength. So I think that's the priority. And I say that kind of, um, um, I don't know what the word would be lightly, I guess, but, but strength is the priority. I know that running is the biggest, um, running for sure. Like we have to run. Yes. Um, but you, um, you're a better runner with stronger legs, with more powerful legs. You know, um, I just feel like strength is a huge part of, of I think the people who work on their strength are going to notice that they do better. So yeah. we want to strength train. Um, and then, um, and it's for our sport. So our sport is unilateral, right? It's always on one leg or one arm, you know, you're almost never on two feet and you're almost never, you know, you, you, you pull kind of with two arms, but you let go with one and then you pull with one, you know? So, um, so that's our goal, right? So our sport is unique. Um, well, most sports are one at one leg or one armed, but, um, yeah. So it's with always that in mind, what is our sport? Um, so we need leg power to get up those hills while carrying a 20 pound sandbag or whatever. Um, or, you know, that bucket that weighs a bazillion pounds. Um, and, um, yeah, so I feel like the strength needs to be the thing. Um, and of course the running, you know, obviously the running. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, we've talked about running uh, a lot on the the podcast, so let's actually talk about the strength. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing, uh, to assess strength. Are you typically doing like one rep, one rep testing or anything like that? Yeah, I would do like a one rep max with a five rep max. <laughs> so I just okay. look up in my little computer, if they have a five rep max, what it would it translate to a one rep max? Um, mostly because I'm probably, I'm pretty unfamiliar with doing it. And I think I would probably screw up an actual one rep max. Um, but I think it's reasonable anyway. So five rep max. Um, and then we translate that. So yes. And what we've done is we just watched the improvements and it was really fun last fall because you know, these kids just like lifting so much more weight by the end of the, um, by the end of the fall. So, uh, yeah. And then, um, and you know, um, when you think about it, um, you know, a lot of the tests that you do aren't, aren't 
you know, I just tell people it's just a measure of success. It's just a measure, you know, and if it translates and then our goal is it always has to translate onto the field. So, but if you do a deadlift, well, obviously we're not deadlifting on the, (laughs) you know, on the course, but it does measure success. And if we're seeing a translation onto the field, then it's doing us some good, you know? So, um, so that's how we would measure the strength, um, with, you know, I mean, bench press, how much function does that have? Well, it measures something and it does give you some strength. Um, I mean, obviously, um, but how functional does it move? I mean, it does, you know, I don't know. I just really struggle with that, um, with that kind of thing, but it is a measure of success and it does measure strength. And, um, and as long as we transfer it into something like a unilateral strength, then we're doing some good with it, you know? Yeah, and I, yeah, and I, I like that you I like bring, that up, you bring the up the point of it doesn't, of it doesn't, doesn't always have doesn't to look always have like, to look what, like we're doing. what we're doing. And sometimes people get caught in that where if it doesn't mm-hmm. look exactly like what you would do on in a race, then why are you doing it? And, you know, sometimes there are things that, yeah, you probably don't need to do this. It's not going to help you in a race. But you can always see, hey, yes, you're well, I, you're going to deadlift on a course, you know, flipping a tire or something like that mm-hmm. or picking up something heavy. But it mm-hmm. doesn't always look exactly like what you'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the race so that but what you mentioned was is it getting is what you're doing in the weight room improving the performance on the on the course and i think that's the ultimate test and if it is doesn't matter what anybody tells you if 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 you're seeing that progress that's what you should be doing and and you're going to see benefit from it so um but Mm -hmm. i I just like that you bring up that point Uh with um, with the training it doesn't have to look exactly like what we see on the course Right. Right. Yeah. And I used to not feel that way. And I really do now. Um, and, and, um, you know, we have the benefit also of having the course at the college. It's a beautiful trail. Like I said, super hilly. And we have a couple of walls out there that we could practice and we could kind of make ourselves a little mock, you know, little course to practice on and things like that. So, you know, when you see their times going up, you know, they're doing what they're they're doing it right, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. going down, but then they're doing it right, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I do love you, you brought up uh, unilateral training because mm-hmm. that is something, you know, personally I try and stress as well because most things we do are unilateral. Yeah, there's always examples of bilateral things, you know, <laughs> jumping. You might jump off two feet to get over a wall, but a lot of times you're going to jump off one to get over that higher wall. Um, or swinging from the monkey bars might, you know, one hand is going to have to come off. But uh, what are some of your favorite, if talking training now, unilateral exercises that you'll do? Maybe, you know, a couple of your favorite lower bodies, a couple of your favorite upper mm-hmm. body ones that some of our listeners could could play around with. Yeah, well, I don't do squats because I have a bad knee. So um, my squat is is always a lunge squat. So that'll vary whether the back leg is lifted or not. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a lunge squat plus So you're stronger on one leg than half of your, how does that work? You're stronger on one leg than half of your squat weight. So it behooves you to do that. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. If you squat 100 pounds, you can, with two legs, you can lunge squat more than 100 pounds. Mm -hmm. And that to me means real strength. So, um, so yeah, so uh, like a lunge squat is way my favorite. Um, love that. Um, and then I love any pulling exercises. And what's really fun, and if you're for listeners who go to the gym or at home or whatever, 
bring stuff if you don't already that gives you different grips. I use everything I can get my hands on for different grips. I'll use ropes and balls. And, and I even have, I tell my, um, our pulley that we have in my gym is a really kind of skinny rope. And, um, I ask people to do their best not to train with the gloves because if they can grip that thing and pull it when they get to the race day, for some reason, just having the bigger, thicker rope at the race for a pulley, um, it makes it easier. So if they can do mine with a 55 pound weight on it, they can do that one with a 90 pound weight on it without any problem. Um, so, um, so just get different grips, um, sticks, you know, I'll do, um, like we have, uh, tractor tires and I put chains on them and puts, you know, grab stick, you know, attach, attach sticks to it. So I'm like, not sticks, but you know, um, things that you just grip that you have to really grip it to pull. Mm -hmm. Um, and then do like power pulls with that. Um, yeah, those are some of my favorite. Oh, but that's not unilateral, is it? Um, like a sled pull when you're pulling <laughs> like a, like just standing there and a hand over hand pull, things like that. I love those kind of things. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. yeah all, all great exercises. And, yeah. um, yeah, we actually do the same exact thing for our hoist, uh, our pulley system, super skinny rope. All of our clients hate it, but yeah. when they get to the race, it, it it's like nothing. You know, they, yep. they grab that, what to them feels like a thick rope, and they just pull that right up and, and yeah. don't seem to have an issue with it. Oh, good to hear you say that. I'm going to pass that on to my clients. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's good. Yeah, so it definitely yeah, and a, then, a big deal. Yeah. And then anything and I and I'm um always trying to say try to be as equal in each arm because you know how we have a dominant arm when you're pulling and it ends up mm -hmm. the beat ends up being one two one, two, one, two, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so you know like as you pull pull and you're always dominating on the one arm and I always try to tell them like do your best to make each arm equal in your mm -hmm. pulling in training, because you never know something could happen to your dominant arm where it's not as strong for whatever reason. And you're going to need to depend on that, you know? So I try to get uh, people. That, yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I try and uh, teach them, especially if we're going to do like some monkey bars or like a Z wall or, or something like mm -hmm. that, we all have our favorite side, right? We all mm -hmm. want to lead with, with one arm over the other or something like that, but it's important to mix it up because yeah, what if you just all of a sudden a nasty blister developed on your hand and, you couldn't lead with that hand or, or, or something happened. And, um, all of a sudden you had to go with your, your non non-dominant or your uncomfortable side, at least you're ready for something like that. So I think that's important. And that's why we do unilateral stuff because we have that dominant side. So if all you're doing is bilateral squats, you might not realize it, but one leg is most likely taking over and doing most of the work. So you won't really find that out unless you're doing your single right. leg squats, your lunges, step ups, things like that. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, I just thought of too recently was, um, you know, I take my classes progressively, um, through, I have like six or eight week programs and I was going to start them on, we were going to practice the wall. I have an eight foot wall in my gym. And I was thinking, you know what? I haven't even done depth jumps yet. And it just dawned on me that I was like, we need to practice some depth jumps before we get on that wall. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, it's just, it's really fun to think of just everything that you need to know about getting over and past an obstacle, even from the landing, getting down, you know? Yeah. So. It's funny you say that I'm actually working on a, a blog post right now on kind of that same thing where yeah. 
it's more important to work on landing before we work on jumping. Yeah. Um, because yeah. that's where things go wrong. And if your body's not ready yeah. to handle that landing, you know, why are you jumping in the first place? So, yeah. um, and why the strength training is so necessary. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Build up not just the muscles, but the connective tissue, the bone, everything. So, um, yeah, yeah it's such, such yeah. a big part of it. Yeah, so exactly. let's just, um, I know we're, we're running short on time here, but I just want to get into a little bit of specifics with your training to give some of our listeners, uh, you know, an insight on how you put a program together. So in a typical week, what is, what does a training program look like for you guys? Um, well, um, again, you know, I'm just so new and I'm just developing it. Um, honestly, last fall, it was just like convincing everybody to run. No, well, we, <laughs> um, and I, because I have, um, this awesome gym, they got to play around on the obstacles and I pre- put running in there and it made them feel like they weren't running. Um, anyway, but this, um, but this time and, and, and really I did it last time too, but of course, uh, long, I just, the typical, you get, you got to get your long, slow distance. You got to get your, um, so aerobic capacity, lactate threshold training. Um, so want to get those three elements in there. Um, and then, um, and so how do I play with those? You know, um, do you play with them by just running or do you add obstacles in those? Um, not the long, slow distance, because I, I feel like we do need to do long, slow distance. Um, but the other two, you can maybe throw the obstacles in there or you can just do it running. Um, and then of course the strength training. So what does your strength training typically look like? Um, are you sticking with total body routines? Are you doing split routines? How many days a week? What's, what's that all look like? No, actually. Um, so Mike Boyle is the one that I read. Um, as a, the person that I um, really like to learn from is Mike Boyle. Um, well, I learned from a lot of other coaches, but um, but I really like this his planning. So knee dominant moves like squats, hip dominant moves which would be uh, deadlifts, right? And then you do um, pushing, um, uh, anti rotation, anti uh, uh, so core workout the three different core workouts, anti-rotation, anti-lateral flexion, and anti-extension. And so um, the way that it's combined, you get to play with it a little bit. So you're not having to split body parts, which I think is boring. And, um, mm-hmm. and I think also it gets us back to kind of the basics, which I used to really avoid, but I'm down with it now. Um, so uh, so we'll have like a traditional type of, and then power, we have power included in there as well. So some power lifting, and then you might combine like, um, a knee dominant move with uh, a vertical pulling move or hip dominant move. Usually I'll do a hip dominant. So I'll use like a deadlift and a pull up together. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have like a core workout, a core exercise in order to give people a break without standing around looking beautiful. So <laughs> they get to do their, um, their hip dominant their um their vertical pull and then they do like an anti-rotation exercise as their break then they repeat whatever right so it's like that and then um and then we'll do something where there's like four three or four exercises probably uh three exercises four exercises maybe that it's done a little bit more in circuit fashion you know so they go a little bit you know a little just just keep moving Mm -hmm. Uh, anyway so I like to do it like that. I feel like it keeps it interesting. I really like to segment it out. So I really find that much more interesting. So you do a power set, you know, you do your warm up, mm-hmm. 
do your balance and your hip work and then you do your power exercise and then you do your lifting and then you, I just really like that um, setup. Yeah. And then the end, the conditioning. And so as I um, go throughout my system, what I'll do is I keep tweaking it so that as we get closer and closer to race day, more and more of it is conditioning. Because again, there is no tried and true method for training for obstacle course racing. Nobody knows the answers yet. It's just too new. Um, but I feel like we do this strength training using a little bit of the traditional lifts like deadlifts and squats and you know, whatever. Um, then, um, and then we get closer and closer to, um, the race, then it's more of the actual conditioning where we get to play with the obstacles and we get to run and, you know, mm -hmm. and then it's the reward also because people love that part. And, um, and then we get to notice where all that strength training and all that, um, tedious running has come in, um, you know, to really benefit us. Yeah. Yeah, that, I yeah, know, that's that, awesome. I mean, I'm a big fan of Mike Boyle, Mike Boyle. and his certified yeah. functional strength coach strength program strength is, strength. is really good. Um, if any coach is listening out there, I will give it a shameless plug. I went through it last year. It's um, oh. great stuff that they have in there. But I will put a link in the show notes for this episode for his latest book. Um, I'm going to blank on the name, like Advances in Functional Training it's or something new, like that, new, volume, yeah. whatever. I, ha I should have it right in front of me. It's the one I've been using. Yeah. 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 It's a great <laughs> book. Even if you're not a coach, there's very practical things in yeah. there. Lots of videos. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you said, it really makes it easy to put your, your program together and follow that template. And then you just insert whatever yeah. unilateral knee dominant exercise yeah. you want in there that's appropriate. Yeah. So really cool, simple yeah. program to follow. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I'm hoping, you know, simple. Mm. <laughs> you know, simpler than making it up i suppose no it yeah. is yeah yeah simple doesn't mean easy no right yeah yeah exactly yeah. but i'm having fun with it i've been using it personally and it's just so nice like oh i know what i'm doing tomorrow you know oh yeah and, yeah yeah so it's been you really good walk into a gym and be like now what you you already yeah. know exactly yeah. what you're doing yeah, yeah. but yeah. you know i mean the the trick is so you know, he's talking about all athletes and yes, all athletes, but I, I feel like, I don't know, everybody probably feels this way. Obstacle course racing is so different. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like we do need to transition maybe a little bit differently than other sports. I don't know. Maybe I'm just blowing smoke, but, um, but I feel like transitioning is, it's so important that we really, we get that grip strength. We get those monkey bars. We get that specific getting over walls, you know, that that has to be added in there and other things have to go. You, you know, you maybe, you know, you have to transition out of some of that stuff and it has to be included, you, yeah. you know, can't learn how to get over a wall unless you go over a wall, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So. There's, there's definitely the unique things that, that this sport brings that if you don't train for it, you know, you can be super strong in the weight room, but if you don't know how to turn that into a functional strength on the course, you know, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Right. Right. And you know why I like, um, I really like social media, how a lot of people um, post when they go to parks and they use whatever they have at a park or whatever, you know? Um, before I had my gym now, which has all the obstacles, a lot of the obstacles in it, I found a brick wall that was seven feet high and I practiced mm -hmm. dumping and getting over that or, yeah. you know, whatever. I just feel like for listeners, um, you know, there's probably going to be monkey bars, you know, there's going to be a wall, you know, there's going to be some kind of hurdle type thing that's five feet high. You know, mm -hmm. there are certain things, you know, are going to be there. Find a way to make it happen for you at a park. 
you know, um, and if you find any weakness in any though, any of those try to, you know, look at it and go, okay. Um, you know, the, the hurdles, like for anybody, just imagine a hurdle that you jump over, but it's five feet high, you know, or however high, how high are those things? But, and I noticed like a lot of women have a hard time getting over those. Um, but, um, but find out, okay, well, what is it? Like, is it my arms? Is it my jump strength? And that's what then you go home and you start working on. Like what, you know, analyzing your own mind, you know, you know, and then how can I make this fast? How can I push myself up over this very quickly and land without breaking my ankles? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, so, but do those things in a, in a place where you can find stuff and then you can start going, okay, this is what my training program has to have. It just makes racing fun, more fun. Oh, I mean, it, you know, yeah. it's it's fun to go out there and race anyway, but it really makes it a little more fun when you've done a little bit of training on, you know, on your sports specific training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's great to see when you do that next race and it gets better, and you know, yeah. hey, the stuff I've been doing, I, I need to do a little bit more of it. It's working. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. So thank you so much for sharing everything. This this was a great talk today. Uh, if anyone's interested in learning a little bit more about you and what you're doing up in the uh, Northwest, what where can they go to find out more? Um, well, I'm just going to give you my website. Um, okay. it doesn't have a, and, I, and you could definitely contact me, all my social media through there, and I could put you in touch. Um, if you're interested in the college program, then you would just contact me for that because I don't have the college stuff on there. But my website is IamNextLevelFit.com. IamNextLevelFit.com. And I have, um, uh, you know, Instagram, YouTube, things like that. But also you can contact me if you want to know about the college program because we would love to have more colleges participate. So especially West Coast colleges. Let's do it. All right. That'd be great. It'd be awesome to see some head-to-head competitions there. Yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome. So uh, I will put uh, your website and every other link that we mentioned in uh, in this uh, talk, and people can check it out in the show notes today. But thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you, Mike. Super nice talking to you. You're awesome. I love your program. <laughs> awesome. I thank you so much. Awesome. Yes. All right, well, that's going to do it for episode 47. Don't forget, check out the show notes for any links mentioned in the show. It's a great resource for you. Just visit ocrunderground.com slash episode 47. You can check out our sponsors, both Mobilitas and Designer Protein there, and pick up your discount code. And also, don't forget, we are looking for 30 beta testers, although by the time this podcast comes out, it's probably going to be lower than that. But we are looking for people who are really looking for a proven system to take their Spartan Race training to the next level and and follow an awesome workout routine matched with a nutrition program, plus week-to-week coaching from myself and SGX coach and registered dietitian Anne LaRue. This is our Fuel and Fire Elite program. Really excited to get this out there. Um, just visit the show notes or you can directly go to ocrunderground.com fuel fire elite and learn more about the program, see what it involves, and uh, you can fill out an application. Once you fill out an application, I can reach out to you and make sure it's a good fit for you. But if you're tired of doing burpees, if you're just not feeling confident in your performance, or you just want to do better before your next race and, and really see a, a dramatic improvement, this might be an awesome program for you. All right, that's it for this time. We will see you guys uh, coming soon.